Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to have on today's podcast, Blue, Blue of Earth. You may know her podcast, Deja Blue podcast. She is such a light and I'm so excited for you all to get to know her. Enjoy. I am here today with this beautiful goddess, Blue. Blue, her name is B-L-U. That is, maybe you've heard of her, maybe you follow her. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Mm, thank you so much. I'm truly honored and I'm really excited to do our little uh, podcasting podcasting swap. You came on my podcast the other day and now I get to come on your podcast and just continue to collaborate in a good way. So I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. That is, I think it's so special when we as women are honest with each other and we're like, hey, you look cool or hey, I loved your book, you know. And when you reach out to me to say you you know, appreciated my book, it really touched my heart because thousands of people read my book. They don't all reach out. <laughs> you know? um, and I talk about this a little bit here and there, and people have heard me of like how beautiful the reciprocity is when we are touched by someone to tell them, you know, whether it's a friend or a family member or someone's podcast. So I really appreciated that. And I'm excited to share more about you with my community, just as I hope that my voice, um, my heart impacts your community too. So I'm going to start with just because I'm sure it's a question on people's minds. Where does the name Bluke come from? (laughs) B-L-U. It's a great question, uh, and it's still an unraveling mystery to me. Um, you got to have an open heart and an open mind with this story. I would say that uh, probably about five, four years ago, I was in the midst of my death of everything that I thought that I was and rebirth into everything that my soul signature is actually aligned with beyond the shoulds of the world, beyond, beyond the projections or the labels of everything we were named since we were, uh, since we were born. And I was in a yoga class and just going about my little poses and I got into warrior two and I heard this very clear loud voice which doesn't happen very often I don't have voices that usually come in like Mufasa through the clouds like hello you know but it does it was a moment that it just popped into my awareness and it was clear as day and it said your name is blue and I was like, what? It's like, one, I like my name. You know, my birth name is Charlotte Victoria and I absolutely loved it. I had no like, you know, desire to change my name. I also don't have any affiliation with the color blue. I don't wear blue. You know, it's not like, I love blue so much that my name must be blue. Um, <laughs> and so when it dropped in, I was like, okay, I'm in the inquiry around it. And I went home to Azria, um, as we were living together at the time, and I was like, I got this weird message that my name is Blue. And she was like, wow, I love it. And I was like, well, hold on, hold on. Let's, let, you know, pump the brakes here a little bit. Because I still had a little bit of judgment around, oh, did you did you move to LA and shave your head, change your name to Rainbow or something? You know, like I, I, like I had, totally. I had noticed this to be a trend. And so I yeah. was like, 
you know, I I was really like skeptical of, of sort of going into those waters for a hot minute. And then it was during um, a big uh, death of like a relationship that I was in and I ended up uh, shaving my head and doing like a full reset of my hair. Um, and the name just kept coming in super strongly. And this was also right around the time when I was diving into the Gene Keys and um, doing a deep study uh, by a man named Richard Rudd. And I, I read my life's work and my life's work in the Gene Keys is beauty. And it distilled it down to, if you were to sum up your life's work in three words, it's to restore beauty, love and unity on the planet. And I was reading it and then I was like, light bulb, ding, it was like blue, B-L-U. And so it was like a deeper, like calling forward into my mission on this planet, as mm-hmm. opposed to um, rewriting everything that I thought that I was in the sense of like, it wasn't disregarding my name, but more so in calling me forward and inviting me into the essence of what it is that I'm actually here to bring onto the planet. So mm. I started like toying around with it and eventually it just caught on and everyone started calling me blue. Um, and so then I, I became blue. So legally my name is still Charlotte Victoria. Um, and I absolutely cherish and love that part of me, but it's also now become a sort of essentially like my brand. And so when I introduced the podcast, it's like, I refer to the listeners as the, or the community as the bluebirds. And it's a representation of those that are willing, that those, that are ones to step into the path of spreading beauty, love, and unity on the planet, um, and a, a responsibility that they, that we take as a community um, to utilize our path to walk the beauty way. Ultimately, so that's sort of where Blue came from. In a very, uh, this is a short version of all yeah. the different iterations that dropped in, but um, that that's why I go as Blue now. Wow! 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 Well, it's quite a difference from Charlotte Victoria, which. Sounds just about the most British name I've ever heard, Charlotte Victoria. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I could just see you stepping out of a carriage or something like that. And like, you know, the 1830s, Charlotte Victoria is coming for tea, you know. So I could, I mean, making that shift, I can only imagine um, coming from a certain culture, a certain name. I don't even know about your family, but like, how did your family respond to that? I think that I could have probably actually done it in um, a little bit more of an integrated way. When we were doing our podcast together, you talked about the different stages of your awakening process in the sense of at the beginning, it was like, well, this is just what I'm going to do. And this is for me. And this feels good. And take it or leave it. And there's like, it's like, okay, like I'm all about your empowerment. And there's like a deeper level of empathy of how might they right. affect the people around you too. Right. That is like the maturation of that. And so... I think at the beginning I was just sort of like, well, this is my name now. And my family were like, uh, are we, are we good? You just shaved your head, you know, like publicly talking <laughs> oh, about so doing you, psychedelics. Did you really <laughs> need to shave your head at the same time that you changed your name? Oh, it was, it was, I shaved my head like just before the name like was fully claimed. So it was Amazing. a lot was happening all at the same time. And <laughs> Charlie, you know anything about me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Went through exactly. a shift. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you can get like even just the energetic signature you can feel from like Charlotte Victoria, born and raised in England, and then going through like went to America, shaved her head, changed her name to psychedelics, and it's like <laughs> ah! for everyone that's in my immediate reality are like, all right, we're slightly concerned for your mental health. Um, <laughs> and so I think that in all fairness, they sort of were like confused and uh, looking back on it I could totally 
totally understand why. Um, and there's definitely been a softening now around how I introduce new concepts that are slightly taboo to the mainstream, um, specifically with my family. So they handled it as gracefully as they possibly could while also um, probably being wildly confused and just checking in where the daughter went. <laughs> <laughs> and the big question, does your mom call you blue now? No, no one in the family calls me blue. Okay. And it's super interesting because if I bring friends that only know me as blue to the house, there's like a, a recalibration process because they're calling me blue and then they're like, who are we talking about? And then and then and then they adjust and they start calling me Charlotte. And so um there's yeah. definitely still a little little crunchy integration that's still unfolding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, wow. I mean I, I, if I had a kid right now who was, you know, went through that, I don't know how I would react. But I imagine at a certain point, you know, as a parent, you're like, good for you, my love, you know, after you get through all of those initial shocks. But hopefully yeah. that as parents, like we can all parents of our of our community, whatever, it doesn't have to be exact children, but we can support our our friends, our kids, our soul family to go through those big shifts. But I can imagine it's destabilizing. It could be destabilizing. Yeah, yeah. It's destabilizing. And then also recognizing that the actual most stabilizing essence is a deep level embodiment. And over time, when this the dust has settled and I've been able right. to actually create a really beautiful life where I have, uh, you know, an entrepreneur and I've built, built my creations and I'm happy and I'm self-sustaining and, and yeah. I'm surrounded by loving people and my relationships are loving. And then when I'm with my family, I look healthy. That over a prolonged period of time starts to justify the behaviors a little bit more because the right. living embodiment is a testament that, oh, actually it's working for her. So, yes. okay, right. We'll, we'll, we'll accept it. <laughs> Yes, that is, that is so true. That is so true. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about your spiritual path and what first brought you onto a spiritual path. Was it that moment? And I mean, I guess you were already in a yoga class, so you're already engaging in some way. But I'm curious, <laughs> what were those kind of openers for you? I would say that, and I'm sure you probably can relate, is that there were so many intricate like moments that activated different neuro networks and different ways of thinking. However, I would have to give a lot of credit to a few main pieces. One of them was uh, being diagnosed um, at the age, at a very young age. Well, not very young age. I would say probably like uh, seven and a half, eight years ago, I was diagnosed with a hereditary hearing disorder. Both my brother and I were both diagnosed with it. So um, we were told by the, the doctor that our hearing is decreasing rapidly, that the, it's incurable. There's not really much that they can do about it. They believe that it's genetic because both, both my brother and I both have it. Um, and they gave us hearing aid options and they were like, sort of like, good luck sort of thing. And that in itself was very jarring information because I was, you know, in my mid twenties, I love music. I love communicating. I love connecting with people and every single thing that seemed to be solid in my life all of a sudden became very deeply in question. And that I think was enough to create a pattern interrupt into my consciousness of going, Hey, everything that I thought was guaranteed is no longer guaranteed. And I'm sitting here looking at the pieces on the table going, what happens if I you know, I can't hear music anymore, or if I can't travel alone, or what if no one would want to date me, and like really sitting with the severity of what it means to potentially lose a sense. Um, and so everything that was just like, oh, you know, get a job and and uh, and 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 work for the weekend and 
all of that seemed to not really make any sense anymore because I didn't have tomorrow guaranteed. So that was a huge catalyst for me to ask the deeper questions. And I definitely went into some sort of like a a rabbit hole of sadness and isolation and not wanting to be in group environments and not wanting because I, I would be in a, in a in a group and all of a sudden I was experiencing this phenomenon which was new to me which was social anxiety I I felt really alone in a room full of humans because when somebody is blind or they're missing a limb you can see how to help them out you can see how to assist them but when somebody's going deaf um, it's an invisible challenge. So unless you want to talk about it to every single person, which is the last thing I wanted to do, then it was very difficult to create a bridge between me and other people. And so I spent a significant amount of time alone and I um, was working in Hollywood at the time and I was a production manager. So I was wearing headsets a lot and, um, I couldn't hear anymore on the walkie talkies what was being said. So I had to leave my job as well, which was everything that I had created some sort of an identity around essentially. So there was just a lot that was in question and, and I didn't know how much I would be able to hear music. And so I always wanted to be a musician. I always wanted to create music. I always wanted to sing, but I always was like, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll figure it out. And, and then tomorrow wasn't guaranteed. So I bought myself a guitar and um, I learned some chords on YouTube and I booked a one-way ticket to go travel and to go and like really live my life while I still have my hearing. And I went deep into esoteric study through um, different modalities, one being the gene keys, which showed up in my life. And um, uh, the, it's a technology that Richard Rudd created, which is founded from a, the I Ching and astrology. And I found out that I had deafness in my chart. And the deafness was not listening to myself, not listening to my own needs, listening to the noise of the world and allowing it to imprint into the essence of who I truly am and recognizing that actually the deafness could be used as a superpower to preserve my internal innocence um, and to allow my uniqueness to be born from a deep place of listening to what that which is needed. And so when I gave new context that it could be a superpower and that our greatest challenge in life is always holds within it the seed of our superpower, it started me on a quest of understanding what it truly means to be human. And, and then that was when I came across plant medicines and I ended up sitting with mushrooms for the first time in my life. And I can tell you for sure that that was the day when I knew that nothing was ever, ever, ever going to be the same again. When I, everything I thought I was told about the world was like, diff, it all just shifted. Like I saw life through a different lens and a different perspective. And once you get a taste of the mystery of what it truly means to be human beyond anything I've, uh, you know, I've ever been told, then there was like an insatiable thirst that I just wanted to keep learning. And so, and I also wanted to heal my hearing and not take my diagnosis as, as like, that was it and I'm going deaf and that's just the reality of it. But recognizing that my internal conversation is the very thing that's programming every 75 trillion cells of my body to vibrate at a certain frequency that continues to confirm whatever it is that I believe. And so I started on the very deep, unending quest of going inwards <laughs> and um it's it's so i would say like plant medicines working um with indigenous communities um uh, with ayahuasca 
um, going deep into the deep level of healing of of my hearing, uh, working with different curanderos and um, maestros and maestra, maestras to to help with the extraction of the of the distortion that was happening in my ears, uh, to learning music, to study studying the gene keys for six years, um, and to decoding every single gene key in the book um, from front to back. It took me six years, but I wrote the whole book out um in my own note form and digested every single oh challenge goodness. and every single superpower um <laughs> and yeah i went deep <laughs> wow wow what is the city or superpower of deafness so it's epiphany um, I have it's insight too. Yeah. So it's the ability, basically, if you look at like Greek mythology and you'll see that the seer, the one that can see the future or can see the things that are that are not here yet, they're usually depicted as being blind. Mm -hmm. And so um, recognizing that his greatest challenge or the seer's greatest challenge is like not to be able to see, but actually to be able to see more than most and be able to tap into a vision that's not actually here yet. And so. Same thing with with a deafness. You know, Albert Einstein talks about how energy is not created nor destroyed, only changed in form. And so, when the energy is no longer going towards this sense, it has to go somewhere else. And it was the ability to listen, actually, or hear more than most. And it's more so hearing the unspoken than the unspoken. Recognizing that energy lies. Oh, sorry, energy doesn't lie, but words lie all the time. You know, words we we say these things and they spring da 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 da. But is it? actually the vibration that is supercharged behind the word that delivers the message Mm. are we listening to that piece right right wow yeah epiphany and deafness wow where is it in your chart so uh, it's my programming partner of my pearl, which is essentially the the pearl is like your offering to the world. What it is that you're really actually, um, you know, bringing uh, bringing as part of your brand, like. Mm-hmm. You know, even with my podcast, it's linked with my brand because it's a level of listening to the unspoken and then from that place, giving it a voice and sharing it with others. So yeah. it gets laced in as um, as part of what I offer to the world now. Wow. How beautiful. How beautiful. And when you were on this healing journey, I mean, I think a lot of historically, I've heard many stories about people being called into their spiritual awakening or shamanic awakening through a physical ailment or a physical obstacle. It's not uncommon, I think, for, for it to be almost like a spiritual trial. And I'm curious, on this journey that you were uh, seeking healing, were there moments where you, where you really found healing? Like, did anything shift in your hearing did was there a moment of epiphany of like maybe I don't even need to heal it I don't know like was what what came from that that journey and that process of going um to all those healers and sacred spots and what came from that Mm, thank you on many levels right it's like multiple levels (laughs) yeah yeah, so many levels. There's yeah. layers to the and layers and it's like it's deep and it's rich. Uh, I think that there was, first and foremost, there was just like a lot of grief and sadness, um, denial that it was even happening. Um, and it, and I didn't realize like how much sadness I held in my body for the for what was happening because there was, there was almost like I was sort of spiritually bypassing myself in the sense of like, 
oh, well, it's happening for a reason and you just get to trust it and, and, and it is a superpower. And I was actually bypassing that. I was like, what the fuck? Like, why is this happening? Why? Why am I in my 20s and I'm losing my hearing? What did I do to create this? Like, how is this How is this a superpower? Like, I was pissed. I was upset. I was confused. I was victim consciousness. I, I was um, deeply, deeply sad. And I'd stored these pockets of sadness that sat in my body. And it wasn't until I could actually go and sit in the Aya ceremonies um, that allowed me to have access to... Uh, different parts of my subconscious that maybe have created this in the first place. And the question that I was actually presented with is like, where are you not listening? Like, where are you actually not listening to the world, to when people are speaking, when someone's talking, is my consciousness fragmented and I'm actually thinking about some other stuff, but I'm like enough in the conversation to pay attention, be able to respond, but I'm not really fully here. And like what I was being asked to do was to pull my consciousness back to the present moment all the time that it hadn't been safe to be here, or I didn't want to hear what was being said, or I was blocking it out because I thought that it wasn't necessary information. And all the times that my neuropathways have created new ways of thinking that were not in the present moment were being asked to be brought my attention back bring it back here because the only moment that we have for the rest of our lives is right now and if we're constantly living in a future or past timeline that's the only place suffering exists when we're fully present then actually we can receive the bounty of what's actually always around us and so there was like a deep reprogramming of my brain of where do I not want to hear and I had to go back to my childhood I had to go back to my education system I had to go back to this little girl that was super creative and super expressive and was told to shut up and sit down and take a number and fall in line and all of these parts of me that were shut down to fit in this ice cube tray essence of what it means to go through general education that is actually numbing us and distracting us away from our uniqueness where actually I've realized that our uniqueness is our superpower but in the education system we are celebrated for our sameness we are graded from the same grading scale and given a score and if you score high then you're a good kid and if you score low then you're a bad kid and then it creates this whole belief system way far away from our uniqueness being celebrated so I had to journey back into what has imprinted my consciousness so there's inhibited me from actually tapping in to my natural genius and then once I started to like really recognize where I wasn't listening where I was not actually paying attention once that 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 started to lock in I I started to then recognize that I could hear if I gave the person in front of me my undivided attention if I was trying to spread myself thin between a bunch of people or I was half in, half out, then I would not be able to hear what was going on. However, if I was to sit down and look at you in your eyes and to feel you and to regulate my nervous system with yours and to genuinely listen, not to respond, but to understand you. I want to understand this human that's in front of me. I want to understand your stories. I want to hear what your heartbreak is. I want to hear what your breakthroughs are. I want to understand you without needing to make any of this about me, but just to receive the essence of who you are. My hearing started to actually get more aligned. And what was happening simultaneously with that is that the greatest gift 
gift. We can really give anyone is our undivided attention, our presence. Our time is precious. We give you our full presence. What happens is the seed is planted in that moment that that person goes, you know what? I felt really seen and I felt really loved and I felt really safe in her presence. I don't remember what she wore. You know, Maria, um, uh, Maria Angelou would, would uh, yeah. uh, Maya Angelou, sorry. Um, she... Uh, talks about you know people won't remember what it is that you said they won't remember what it is that you wore they don't remember what you what you do but they'll remember how you made them feel and I realized that that is literally the way to plant seeds hundreds of thousands of seeds everywhere we go then eventually before you know it, while we're asleep all of a sudden we're just filled with a, a full field of flowers, beautiful colors and scents and smells and fragrance. And that's what it means to me is to be a fully present individual recognizing everybody's God wrapped in physical form. And so and there was a, a returning to the altar of my present moment that started happening. And then um, the other pieces that I got to work, I had the privilege of being able to work with indigenous communities in a safe way, in a safe container, in an honoring way to the land, in, an, in a reciprocity with the facilitators and the indigenous practices. I got to work um, with ayahuasca and um, lay on a healing mat and have, you know, next level fifth generation shamans that know how to work with extraction and literally suck on my ears like they do this diet with a plant called kamalonga and it's like a two-year diet and um it's like this medicine that's mixed with fermented garlic and onions and i go to florida and kamalonga and different different um, plant medicines they swish it around in their mouth and then they latch on and <laughs> suck wow. out all the distortion of all the times I couldn't hear and all the sadness and all the times I went, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. And it just, and um, they would then suck and then vomit and they purge it out through their body, the distortion that was stuck in my, my ears. So that's wow. how you go. It's been a journey. <laughs> that, I mean, I was like, that's fragrant. The garlic, onion in the ear, the vomit, the Florida water. I mean, wow. Um, whew, what an experience to go through that journey and to trust. As you were saying that, I'm just like, I'm just trusting that maestro's garlic lips on my ear, you know, <laughs> and trusting his years of, of dieting the plant and trusting his knowledge. And you know, so much of the Western mind is based in systems of understanding and knowledge that are scientific or to, to trust something that is outside of our realm of, of experience or understanding, right? We can kind of understand the ways of another culture from where we are, but we weren't born into it. And what what gave you that trust like to to go and was it like because you were in such despair was it friends or other community members or what allowed that you to surrender your body and your soul your spirit in that way mm. so in that specific circumstance the um the way that I was presented to these four shamans specifically, 
uh, was through somebody, Brandon Collinsworth, who I, who is the leader of Warrior Retreats, who I trust with my life. This man is like the highest integrity, genuinely takes care of all of the facilitators. He pays them, you know, four months wage in one, in one sitting. He's just like constantly creating a reciprocity and honoring of them, um, built out a center, uh, bought these shamans in that are like really um, sort of like, you know, high up in, right. the, in the jungle out there. They've like, they've really <laughs> created a name for themselves in the sense of the depth of their healing that they do. Um, and I could feel when, because we did a ceremony before um, I did the healing work and I could just feel the cleanliness, like how energetically hygienic this space was, um, how clear, how integrity the individuals were that when they sat in front of me and they're saying like, what is it? What is it that you're here to heal? And I'm like, I really want to heal my hearing. And they just look at me and they're like, yeah, we could do that. And I'm like, you don't even have like a flick of concern here. You're like, you like seem to be very confident. And they're like, it's what we do, you know. Like we we help heal deep ailments. We this is this is what you know. We've been training for generations, wow. like to do this work. And so there's also still a little bit of trepidation, you know. I'm like, well, you know, I've had so many people along the journey being like, I can heal you. Get on my healing mat. Let me give you some Reiki, sweetheart. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, you know, like, I. That sure, I guess, you know, and I've got excited because someone thinks that they can heal yeah. it. And I've got excited that a doctor had come out with a remedy and I've been disappointed over and over and over again. And so I don't, I, I said to him when he said, oh yeah, we can heal that. I was like, well, listen, I just want to let you know that I'm not coming in with expectations even after what you've said and I'm open to miracles. So I'm like coming from a grounded perspective of like, I don't want to be disappointed in this process. Um, and I would say that, you know, I'm not saying that my hearing is 100% healed. I still wear hearing aids occasionally just to be able to read, um, to be able to sense what's going on in this space. However, what I believe truly in my heart of hearts and the core of my being is that we can heal ourselves from anything. And the power of our mind is so far beyond anything we can even comprehend or grasp. And even just recognizing that we're floating on a massive rock hurling through space at millions of miles out or held into orbit by a giant ball of fire, the miraculous nature of what it actually means to be human is so much far gone of what our individual minds can even grasp and comprehend that miracles are a thing and every single human on this planet is a miracle. We came from the non-physical realm into the physical realm, birthed through the Stargate enterprise in which we call women's yonis. <laughs> like, like, literally, the by the very nature of being alive is miraculous. And so... I like to live my life from a place of I believe in miracles and I do believe in their healing capacities and their capabilities out in the, it's specifically in this place, the Amazon jungle of Peru. And I, I believe in their work and their teachings. And so, um, and also just to, to be mindful that in the spiritual community, in the medicine spaces, there is a lot of charlatans. There is a lot of people that play dress up shamans. There is a lot of people that, you know, wear the mala beads and say all of the mantras and then all the things. And there's sexual distortion and assault. There is so much that is going on that I am not saying that I'm walking into these spaces blindly and going, I trust the next person that says they can heal me, that they're going to be able to heal me because it's really important that our sort of discernment is deeply sharpened. Like, 
it is so important in these spaces. And yet my level of listening is not just starting with, oh, well, this person said that they can heal my hearing, but it's more so about, well, how did the trip come about? What's my relationship with the person with the, that's that's leading us there? How was my trip leading up to it? What was the ease and grace of getting to the airport? How did it feel when I was on the land? What was the eye contact like with the individuals? Like, that's what it means to listen, right? A lot of us hear, but what does it mean to listen? And that listening goes hand in hand with the discernment because it comes from a somatic level as opposed from the mind. The mind can only grasp what's happened in the past and then project on a current timeline and then regurgitate the information based off of our past experiences. But to actually listen to the resonance is to feel it with the body. And that is the difference of, of, of hearing the world as opposed to just, or like listening, genuinely deeply listening to the world as opposed to just hearing the world. And so it's two different levels, but I would say that um yeah my discernment and my ability to feel situations has become very refined and that's led me in very very miraculous spaces mm. wow so beautiful such an important piece right to to who we trust our body our spirit our soul to and i like that you use that sort of discernment and it's been definitely a big life ongoing lesson for for me is is learning how to deeply discern um you know, you mentioned the word devotion before we started here, and I'm so curious what you are devoted to. I think the word devotion, I hear it kind of in a zeitgeisty spiritual way. I Sometimes I think that the things that we hear in the sort of conscious community that we hear so often for like the normal person on the street, they'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But then we hear them all the time, certain words, right, or certain concepts, um, and so, so yeah, the, what are you devoted to? What is it that, that calls forth the devotion of your heart in terms of you brought that forward as a piece of your current spiritual journey? So since I guess this sort of ties in with my hearing journey of really navigating the world based off of a place of frequency and what I mean by frequency is if you you know to look at under a, a one of our cells under a microscope you'd see that it's actually vibrating and ultimately there's there's different frequencies there's um Dr. Emoto's uh study of water and and he um basically bought two pellets of water and he put uh, one pallet of water and exposed it to the news and messages of hate and anger and people yelling. And then he exposed a certain pallet of water to a petri dish, sorry, a petri dish of water to um, mantras and beautiful music of nature and what I love you, I love you. And then froze the water and looked at it under a microscope. And you'll see that the water froze in different for, um, crystal formations. The one that was exposed to the hate is like jagged and it looks angry like it there's nothing symmetrical about it it's like, like this and then the one that was exposed to the beauty and the love and the mantras and all the things was like perfect symmetry it was like a snowflake and it and, and it, it was all lined up and it was so beautiful and, and, and aesthetically pleasing to the eye 
And so ultimately, if it, it, these are different frequencies, right? We've got love and we've got hate, they're frequencies. Then we've got like a crazy percentage of our body that's made up of water. So ultimately, we are these molecular uh, electrical circuits that run predominantly from water, exposing ourselves to different frequencies. Now, there is how devotion ties into this is that there's a devotional path to expose one's frequency to the highest frequencies of vitality and enrichment possible. And so that comes down to the mundane to the miraculous and everything in between. I talk mundane in the sense of how do I make my bed in the morning, right? I got my bed in the background. Oh, I heard right? about how you that make is a my bed. First. I heard you got special bed making ways. <laughs> when I met Blue, for some reason, um, the lovely producer was like, she taught me how to make my bed and how to make it in this no. fabulous way. Okay, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> so for me it's not just making a bed for me it's a conversation with how my day is mm. gonna go and so if I have like tight sheets and I like take time to fluff it out and I and, and make it look aesthetically beautiful it's like the first domino that's being pushed for the mm -hmm. rest of the day it's like hey you know what? I'm showing up I've done it well it feels good whenever I look at it it feels nice it feels like I'm put together that raises my frequency mm. right and then then there's the, it's like, a, it's like a video game. Like what path do you want to choose? Next thing is, or like, I guess this would be before I make the bed is when I wake up in the morning, my alarm goes off. Do I A, lay in bed with the blinds down and scroll on Instagram? <gasps> or B, do I open the blinds, <laughs> keep the phone on airplane mode, make my <laughs> bed, light a candle on my altar and say 10 things I'm mm. grateful for. Right, now that's two significantly different frequency shifts within a 10 minute, not even, period of time. So when I am on my phone scrolling on Instagram with the blinds down, I can already feel my nervous system that has is going into a place of like, I've got to do this. I've got to respond right. to that person. Oh, I didn't get that back to right. that person. Oh, I've got to do this today. Oh, remind oh. me. Gonna, and it goes, and it goes into like a sort of like fight on flight energetics. But if I am airplane mode and I'm sitting in front of my altar and I've got my mala beads and I'm saying, you know, oh, money, pad my um, or, you know, bringing in the mantra of compassion or saying that 108 times while saying 10 things that I'm grateful for. And I'm putting kapal on, on my body and I'm checking in with my heart and I'm doing a 10 minute guided meditation. By the time that my phone is now off of airplane mode, I am grounded. I'm centered. I'm in my heart. I'm softened, my roots are deep. And so that no matter what it is that presents itself, I don't get ungrounded or wavering based off of um, based off of what is happening from the outside world. So again, that's a frequency decision. That's a decision. Do I put my Petri dish in the frequency of mantras of love? Do I put my Petri dish in the frequency of anger and hate? Um, or to-dos or whatever it is. So ultimately, what I'm getting at here is it's a constant choice of that that enriches my spirit over a prolonged period of time. And that is a devotion in itself. The devotion does not get switched off. It's not like, all right, today I no longer want to um, feel good. <laughs> today I want to feel like shit. There are going to be days for sure where I'm like, I go deep into the Netflix hole or I decide to eat, you know, Thai food way past the time that my body's ready to digest it. You know, like this, there's always space for the human. However, sometimes also that can be medicine in itself without creating some sort of binary experience around what's spiritual and what's not spiritual. However, the default 
is that that enriches the spirit. And so for me, having a devotional practice every day before my phone is off of airplane mode and being in that space where I'm in communication with God, spirit, the beloved, whatever you want to call it, that that cannot be named, that that is greater than ourselves, that that is the very same thing that created the hummingbird and the fruit and the flower, the meticulous nature of the intelligence that is always working with us and around us and for us, the very thing that created this quantum computer that I am got to be able to have my soul inside of that very conversation with something that is so much greater than myself that is my devotion and just like a friend or a plant if you don't water it or spend time with them then that connection starts to wilt that plant starts to die and so every day I check in with the beloved I check in with the great Almighty, that cannot that cannot be named. However, I say my gratitude, I say my prayers, I offer my woes and my worries, I come back to my breath, and I reconnect to what is important. And so for me, that is what devotion is. It's a relationship with something greater based off of a place of nourishment on a cellular level from everything from the mundane to the miraculous. Hi, everybody. Quick interlude here because I want to tell you about my group Radical Awakenings. It's an online community space for wild women, for smart women, for women who love to engage in spiritual practice, who don't go to traditional temple or church, but want to create their own temple space where we can practice embodiment and ritual, where you can stand in front of the group and ask questions, feel your feelings, express your rage, your grief, we can laugh together, we can write together, we can speak and pray in the way that we know in our bones how to do together. So I've been leading spaces like this for a very long time. My first women's circle I led back in 2002. I'm super devoted to creating safe and sacred spaces for women to come together, to play, to express, to embody, to feel, to grieve, to open, to inspire each other. Sacred sisterhood is super important to me and not in some let's fix each other sugar-coated dress all in white version of spirituality. Of course, you know me. That's not how I roll. The women that come to my programs, they're smart, they're change makers, they're visionaries, they're crossing thresholds and initiations, they're going through dark nights of the soul, they've got tattoos, they've got babies, they're birthing books, they're making radical changes in their lives. Of course, you don't have to have tattoos or babies or books in order to be with us, but all are included. We are a beautiful motley crew of women who have one sacred goal, to come together to honor these bodies, these hearts, to honor our spiritual practice day to day, not as something we just do on a yoga or meditation retreat, but something that is incorporated and integrated into our lives. We bring rituals into the homes, we make altars, we live by the stars and the moon, we live by the cycles, and we come together to reclaim something that we know to be true. So I would love to invite you to the next iteration of Radical Awakenings. We meet twice a month and you get the recordings if you can't attend live with all kinds of bonuses included in the program as well. So look in the show notes. There's a link to join, bring a friend. We would love to have you, to hold you, to be with you as we all continue to walk this wild and weird human life together gorgeous. I love it. I love it.
What a beautiful thing to be in devotion to. Um, I think we can all feel that, to be in devotion to tending your spirit and to tending your vibration every day and to choosing. And um, so many people are in devotion to so many different things nowadays, including the phone, including the <laughs> emails and followers and whatever. And it's like, what if the devotion starts with my spirit and my frequency first, letting that be. And then, you know, I'm not in devotion in the same way to my phone or my DMs or whatever. I'm not, it's like, I think people all day return to the altar of the phone. Their head is literally bowed and it's just like, it's calling them. It's calling them back however many times a day we pick up our phone, which I think the iPhone can even tell you how many times you pick it up per day. It's like if we could all pour just a smidge of that level of attention that the phone calls from us and all the apps and all the things into that which you just described, it, the world would be such a different place. And yet it's so... Um, it's so uh, what's pervasive. I don't know, like the how people's attention is so sucked out of the present moment and into this vortex of beauty and opportunity and also of distraction or um, numbing. You know, it's very complex. I do think that it's a great question for everyone listening to ask is like, what are you in devotion to? can be, you know, like tending your, the garden outside of your house. It can be dance. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to look the same way as, as blue or eyes devotional practices, but to be in devotion to something beyond your, the little box of the self or the little box of the phone. Like, ah. <laughs> so on this path, I'm so curious because as a fellow walker on the path, I know that whether or not we put all of our love and devotion into creating a beautiful frequency in our mind and our body, we still face these soul contracts of suffering or upset or obstacle or challenge. And I'm just curious, you, you shared with us one of your major ones, which was finding out that diagnosis and that setting you on a particular path. But I also know being a fellow walker in the path that they happen all the motherfucking time. Um, so <laughs> I would love to hear <laughs> what are some of those or one of those like rock bottom, dark night of the soul moments for you um, besides a huge one, which you already shared, but moments maybe where um, you were in an awareness that this is happening for me, not to me, right? Like before we sort of wake up to a certain extent, like the dark nights were like, oh my God, life sucks. This is terrible. I'm curious if there are any moments where you were in the depths of pain or suffering, but you were really acknowledging the importance of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there was a significant shift uh, from victim consciousness to creator consciousness. And when I was younger, it was it was just that it was like, oh, my God, life sucks. Like, why are we here? You know, this is like awful. 
and I would be in the in a dark night of the soul and just think that I would just just wish for it to be over but had no sort of sense of the way out nor any trust in it either and that is a really really crippling place to be in because when all trust is gone and then the filters have changed and all I see is destruction then it, it's very isolating it's very scary it's very discombobulating um, and I think that there was a significant shift I can't pinpoint it to a specific moment that changed my consciousness that everything even the what the fuck moments I'm in the dark night of the soul Persephone has come up herself and brought me into the underworld like in those moments to actually lace it with life is actually happening for me 100% of the time it's worked out in my favor and even if it's what I want in the moment it may not be what my soul is needing and I am being redirected to actually come back on path and maybe in this moment I can't understand it but it's happening for a greater reason that piece of shifting from victim consciousness this is happening to me to creative consciousness this is happening for me and I still am waiting to see why but I'm trusting has guided me through some of the gnarliest spaces um, whether it's heartbreak give us a gnarly give us a gnarly just a little <laughs> go on all right all right I give I got okay. one recently um I just I I went through a separation and um, it was like a, a double heartbreak because I sort of uh, was in a relationship and then went into another one pretty quickly. And then when, when all of that fell away, I actually had to sit with the fact that I was actually going through a double heartbreak of mourning both relationships yeah. at the same time. And then right while I was in the middle of it, um, a really close friend of mine passed oh. away uh, in a very horrific way. He hit his head while he was diving into some water and he paralyzed himself from the neck down and he only had a day to live and he FaceTimed me to say oh goodbye. And I was in the middle of a double heartbreak. This was only, this is merely, I don't know, four Oof. months ago. So this is recent. And I honestly was so broken from that experience of a double heartbreak and a friend passing in the way that he did. I my relationship to trust is embedded into the essence of who I am. And so when I was on the floor and I'm in a puddle of like my own snot and tears and I haven't showered for three days and making it from the bed down to the kitchen was a miracle without breaking down, you know, like it, in those moments of deep isolation and not wanting to speak to anyone and yet simultaneously feeling really alone. Um, it's those moments where... I, you know, Rumi says a quote of something along the lines of like, when you are brought to your knees, it's the perfect position to pray. And I just had nothing left to give. And my empathy for people suffering was at an all time high. You know, if somebody was to talk to me and be like, oh, I'm going through a heartbreak, I would burst into tears with them because I was so deeply connected to the pain that they must be experiencing in that moment because it was re re relatable to what I was experiencing. However, every single time that I have gone through anything like that and, and everybody, we all go through really tough cars that are dealt in certain points of our life. Any time uh, that I have gone through anything like that, I've come out so much stronger on the other side. And if you want to forge a sword, you've got to put it through the fire many times like, before it can actually be forged to the shape that it needs to be so it can be sharp, so that it can actually be um, efficient. And so 
in those have been the places where I've learned the greatest amount about myself, where I've really understood how resilient I am, where I've really understood the workings of my own mind, where I've really understood that actually those decisions to maybe drink another coffee today or maybe try and numb myself out by doing, you know, watching Netflix is only going to lead to more suffering. And that when I actually can go, you know what? It's so painful for me to stay on this path. I'm going to have to do something different. I'm going to have to do a pattern interrupt. And that means to leave the house that I'm living in or to go traveling alone or to go to an ashram and to go study or to go backpacking through the Himalayas. Like it's led to some sort of massive pattern interrupt, which is always led to a massive breakthrough mm. right because the pendulum has to swing both ways mm. so if we're operating just here in like a comfort zone and then all of a sudden through life's unexpected events it swings us into the depth of desperation now we have the momentum that has to swing of equal measure the other side where if we're just sitting here there's no push or pull energy and so we're swinging all the way here all of a sudden at some point the ball drops and it and it swings the opposite side. And so I can say on the other side of from four months ago, I'm at this point where I'm full of vitality. And then when somebody says a loving word, it hits so much deeper mm. and it hits so much more like in, 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 a, in a depth of my empathy. And when somebody holds me or when somebody loves me or someone just reach an arm out, it is it, received with so much more mm. love because of the contrast of the suffering and the pain mm. that I just moved through. Mm. So my zest, my capacity to live is at the same capacity I allow myself to mm. die. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> what do you consider to be profane? And I'm going to tell you why I'm asking the question because this show is called Holy Fuck and part of you know, what I consider in my own life is what is what is applicable to the spiritual path what is not is anything actually outside of the holy domain um and it's 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 a nuanced question because some things are you know like <laughs> there are some things that are fucked up and then there's some things that um are not and yet they're all part of this realm that we live within so i'm just curious for you what do you consider sacred and what do you consider profane? And start with profane just because that one is, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's um, sacred is one that we all define, I think, a lot, probably especially with the work that we do in the world. What do you consider profane and what does that mean for you? So, so in the sense of like the, the profane being also aka spirit, uh, sacred or like, the higher vibration if we were to use this the conscious lingo um again it for me it operates more on a vibrational scale and i had a conversation with matthias de stefano who has a show on gaia tv he came on a podcast he's brilliant he remembers all of his past lives and the you guys go listen to the blues asked, podcast with him it's it's so good yeah yeah <laughs> And he talked about, I'm like, so what happens when we die? You know, like, what happens when we, where do we go? And he's like, um, 
And he's like, well, where we where our soul passes through is a consequence of how we lived our life. And it's all on resonance. It's all on vibration. And so going back to the piece around, you know, operating as a vibrational being and that that enriches, that that depletes, is also recognizing not only is it for myself of that that enriches, but also how does that ripple and affect those that are around you, right? Of like, do you ripple inspiration or do you ripple uncomfortable, like feeling uncomfortable or feeling unworthy in the presence, right? That also sends out ripples that by the nature of karma has to always return to its place of origin and so that's essentially how you can detect what's going on inside someone's experience is by looking at their external reality and seeing what has been created based off of many 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 small decisions made from a place of love or fear ultimately and so what i find to be um, I mean, ultimately, I believe that everything has a sacred purpose and a sacred role within the ecosystem of what it means to be human. And I have constantly and every single day consciously worked to deconstruct a binary experience that's operating yeah. in my mind that goes, well, this is good and this is bad. Well, this is going to go to hell and this is going to go to heaven um, and be thy big yeah. judger of all things that are alive and recognizing that um, the most sacred thing is what is. Whatever it is is in mm -hmm. front of me holds a sacred purpose. Otherwise, it would mm. not be. Um, and also I cannot control certain things outside of myself. However, I can be the creator of the energetic ripples that I put out into the world, whether it's the conversations I have with myself, whether it's the interactions that I choose to send my energy towards, whether it's the interactions that I have within individual beings and the people that come into my field and my choice and line of work and what I choose to share with the world. And I can hold a certain charge that recognizing that if I align myself that inspires me, therefore inspires others, then I feel like I'm in resonance with that that feels sacred to me mm -hmm. however everybody's version of profane and sacred is going to be different that's why i say it's nuanced yeah. like it it's it, it's um it's it's subjective to the eyes of the beholder yeah. but to me personally i would say what enriches my spirit what enriches my heart what enriches my day and what enriches the people around me and what comes out of me that ripples a wave of beauty that then it uplifts and inspires those for the most part um, that are ready to have the or to, to receive my message then that feels to me that I'm living the beauty way and I'm walking a sacred path mm -hmm. when I create a ripple and a wave of jealousy denial mm -hmm. um uh people talking you know gossip um like and that that becomes the default what it is that my reality is consistently putting out into the world then i would say that it's no longer walking in the territory of the yeah. profane yeah yeah i was just asking myself what, what i mean it's it's a, it's like sort of a moving question right like sort of a morphing question and the first thing that popped into my head today i'm like I think littering is profane. Like littering is just, littering is, t anything that is hurting the earth, that to me is just terribly contra to holding the sacred, uh, the sacred honor and respect of this planet, like that we are so blessed to be walking. I mean, there's, I think anything that, that, that dishonors human life and that dishonors, um, the beauty of existence. And it's interesting because some of it is like, yeah, the minutia, right? And some of it is more energetic, like you described, like you described the energetic resonance of 
or the dissonance, right? When we, 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 when we go opposite, say something so sacred, it's a dissonant, like in the hidden messages in water. And we see that dissonant chaos, um, which sometimes that is necessary for destruction, right? For a cycle and a change and for transformation. Um, and sometimes it's just just hogwash, you know, like sometimes right. it's dissonance for the sake of dissonance. I mean, a lot of what's mm -hmm. going on in this planet has a lot of dissonance. I mean, when I, I went to see Avatar the other day and I was so excited to see Avatar and it's so much gun violence. And I was like, are you effing kidding me? Why? That to me was profane. I was like, I get that it was told in the, used in the context of storytelling right, to prove a purpose, but my nervous system was so deeply impacted by the gun sounds and all of that. I had to hide under my under my coat in my partner's lap <laughs> because I was like, this is so dissonant. And I do think in that context, it was, it was showing that, right, showing the beauty and the sacredness. I don't know if you saw it, but like of the blue waters and these beautiful whales. And then the, the dissonant, like the profanity of um, the destruction of guns and that kind of thing. So anyway, it's just something, it's an, it's an, it's an, it's a binary question, but it's something that we're walking through every day. We're, we're, we're having to discern it's discernment. Again, is this friend group holding the sacred thread with me? Like they were yesterday. Are they today? Is my partner meeting me there? Like as am I, it's just, it's, um, yeah, it's a moving question. <laughs> mm. And also I realized with my answer that I was getting the words profound and profane oh, mixed up. And so I was like, it's going at it. I was like, yeah, so that is profane. Yeah, like the sacred. And <laughs> what I was referring to is that the profound is what I meant the sacred. We're, and the we're, Sorry for the confusion. We're, we're really keeping you guys on your toes because you got to be listening. Yeah, yeah. You got to make <laughs> your own really decisions here. For you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I exactly. knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Um, yeah. But it's almost, it's almost kind of like perfect too. It's just to know that everything here, the good, bad, it's all, um, it's also relative, right? And it's also relative how we define um, what is good, what is bad, what is holy, what is unholy. Um, I'm curious. And I'm curious, coming from that, from the more sacred side, which again, we're playing with the, like the split, but also winking that there is no split. Um, but on the sacred side, I like to ask everybody to share a mystical experience that they've had. And I know you've had many, and um, I heard the one that you you shared on your podcast with Matthias. Um, so uh, up to you to choose. It can be a little one, a big one, a one you've told or not, and whatever kind of pops into your heart today as we're closing out. This is like the last question that I ask people. I would say that there's one that really stands out to me um, was, uh, so I did Sadhguru's program 
um, called Inner Engineering. And then there was the Shunya, which was the second level. And in the Shunya, you get taught, uh, in addition, I got caught, taught how to work with the elements. And so um, every single morning for 40 days, I did a two hour practice, devotional practice. And before the sun rose, I did my hour in the morning. And then before, just before the sunset, I do my hour in the evening. And I would evoke the five elements. So I would work, I would like have a little bit of dirt and consecrated dirt and I would eat it and then do a, a blessing in my body. I would breathe in like, like the essence of fire and do certain like uh, mantras around it I would drink some holy water um I would um do a breathwork exercise to evoke the air element and then three times throughout the day when the the sun was at certain degrees I would say a prayer to the sun which would evoke the spirit element um and so I was working very very closely with the elements and I was out in Costa Rica with a group of individuals with Aubrey Marcus and the crew and um and I had, uh, we were in an ayahuasca ceremony and I went outside and I, and, and anytime I have a big breakthrough or download or something that has been like really deeply meaningful, I have an offering pouch. And so I have a little sacred tobacco or some sacred sage in there. And I go to the earth and say, thank you so much for that insight or that download. And I return it back to the earth as an offering. And when I was outside, I was being guided to stand in a certain place. And I just sort of standing there and all of a sudden my arms start like moving in like all of these different like rotation, like almost like it was like kind of like Doctor Strange where it's like opening up some sort of a portal. And it, I could see it opening up some sort of portal. And then I started whispering to the wind and having a conversation with the wind. Now bearing in mind for 40 days, for two hours a day, I'm working with this element, um, not necessarily just wind, but um with all these different elements uh, over that time. And so I was in a very deep relationship, just like I shared with you before about, you know, you want to water a plant um, for it to grow. You water it every single, oh, not every single day, but you you attend that relationship, it'll start to grow more. You want to have a close relationship with somebody, you place energy and attention there, then it will start to grow that relationship. Same with the elements. And so I had this very sweet knowing with the element of mm. air. And I was like going like this and swirling my wings. All of a sudden, the wind picks <gasps> up like really strong out of nowhere, like a freak wind. It was like, whoosh. and while I was moving my arms, I felt the wind moving with me as I was swirling my arms in the air. And I felt at one with the element of the air at that oh. time. And I was just kind of like a girl, like sort of freaking out and feeling like, wow, this is really happening. And then right in front of me, because of the freak wind that picked up, a tree fell down. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've got to stop this and closed the portal that was open with the wind and, and it went back into the ceremony. Everyone was like, what happened? And I was like, uh, not really sure how to describe this one. So I just stayed right down and then I ended up having a conversation with Aubrey the next day. And I remember just feeling completely in awe of the power of devotion and reverence and a relationship with the elements and a relationship with this earth like I have never felt before. I felt a deep responsibility of how tiny, minuscule and actually insignificant I am to the whole, while also how powerful mm. we can be as beings when we're in devotion to Mother Earth as an ally and as a support yeah. and how she listens and works with us through a deep devotional relationship. And so that was definitely a moment that's etched in my heart forever that that I'll never forget and it was a mystical wow. moment. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. How beautiful. Mm -hmm. Wow.
Full on wind witch blue. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Well, yeah. Mm. I had a, a slightly similar moment with nature before that was one that I'll always remember. Um, and I think nature is so beautiful when it responds to us and we get to have a conversation. It's almost like those moments where the veil is um, penetrated or, or lifted and we're in that dialogue and it's like, whoa, I could actually live in this dialogue, but it, what would it require of me? you know, and um, makes me think of possibly the old days where women were trained to be in that dialogue, um, to work with the elements, to be able to uh, bring forth the reins, right? Not just women. I think many cultures was time to bring the reins or time to um, give energy so that new seeds were growing, and yeah, I'm sure we lived those lifetimes. Maybe we were doing that together at some point. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my gosh. I would love nothing more than to just look over my right shoulder and see you right there with me. Like you're having a conversation with nature and be like, let's go, sister. We ride a dawn. <laughs> Calling it a storm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's so beautiful to be in the modern world that we're in and like to you know, what you're doing, bringing forth so many ideas and translating them to people that maybe wouldn't understand them otherwise or come across them otherwise. And um, yeah, I, I feel like the power of using your voice, I know that you, your podcast is wide reaching and so many people get to tap into that field of your your vibration and your resonance and to be touched by that. And I do think that is holy work in the world that is necessary in these times, you know, that we all, all hands on deck, remember who we are and help others remember who they are. Also with a great cosmic wink, we're not saving the world. Like we're just showing up to this glorious, you know, game of life, but we're showing up all in, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's it's totally it. It's, it's like, it's going to require all of us. It's like not to pedestal anybody that thinks they have the answers more than anybody else. It's, it's actually a, just an invitation to have a deeper relationship with our intuition with our connection to our to to the, to the source our connection with our bodies our connection with our hearts um and so anything and everything that has been shared on today's podcast is not the truth that a capital t these are stories that have supported me these are modalities that have helped me raise my frequency and and create a life that i live and also recognizing like the only invitation here with all of the stories and everything that's been shared is is you tapping into your unique soul blueprint totally. of what it is that you're here to bring forward to and recognizing that when every single person align with their hearts expression their deep level of healing and their genuine love for themselves therefore the love for the other being then this world will heal but it's good it's going to take all of us yes. so that's the point of sharing yes, these stories yes thank you so much and i would love to just share with us how we can uh, be more in your world are there projects that you've got out there things that people should um tune into around blue the the blue universe is that a thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is a thing maybe i love that you thought of it and it, you say it before. maybe oh really quite possible. or maybe you're producer <laughs> i'm not going to take credit for yeah, that one yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
tell us, tell us. <laughs> um, so I'm pretty active on social media um, at BLU of Earth. Um, and I share any offerings that I have going on there. There's also the Deja Vu podcast, um, which uh, is on all YouTubing platforms as well as all um, audio uh, podcasting platforms. And uh, definitely tune in. There's like, I don't know, almost 90 episodes of, uh, of lots of lots of nuggets and stories and wisdom and brilliant minds from all walks of life coming on. I also got to have the gifts of having you, Alexandra, come on my podcast, which we released in a few weeks. And, um, and uh, so that's a beautiful wellspring of, uh, of source of inspiration. Uh, if you feel called to tune into that and, and then my website, www.blueofearth.com. Um, and any offerings that I will have pending, um, will be all shared on there. So you can continue to follow along right now. I don't have anything open as of now, as we're working on projects behind the scenes, but, uh, yeah, stay okay. tuned. Okay. Yeah. There's so many great podcast episodes that are out there and just follow blue online and I'm sure you'll hear all of the magical things incoming and so wonderful to have you here. I feel like we barely scratched the surface. I'm like, I had so many other questions I want to ask you, <laughs> but here we are. This is life. So I feel like we got a hearty dose of your wisdom, your beauty, your love, your unity, and an invitation even more deep uh, into each of our devotional paths. So thank you so, so much for, for coming on today. Mm. Mm. Thanks to you, Alexandra, for using your voice to inspire, to uplift and to share it in a good way. So it's such an honor to have uh, met another sister on the path and running parallel as well, going through our own unique initiations. And so it's truly an honor to be in your presence and to be illuminated by your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.